Hey, my name is Ryan McVitie, and I am the pastor of the River Worship. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast. If you haven't heard about the river yet, it's an amazing move of God happening in the greater Toronto area. Yes, Toronto, Canada. It's a cold place, but we have warm hearts, and we love coming together every Tuesday night and worshiping the Lord with all we've got. We also get to dive into the Word, and that's where we're going to go right now. We're going to dive into the Word of God, and I trust and pray that it will impact you in a powerful way. If you're ever in the Toronto area, come visit us. We would love for you to worship with us together. But enjoy the message, and God bless you. Don't leave it locked up. That's what I want to talk to you about tonight. Don't leave it locked up. That's going to make sense in a minute to you. Don't leave it locked up. But what are we talking about tonight? What's our theme tonight? Our theme is revival. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. And I don't want you to leave it locked up, right? So that's that's what we're going to chat about. And what I want to tell you tonight, in a lot of words, is that revival is not just something we should want It's not just something we should aspire for. It's something that we really truthfully actually need. Amen? Anyone believe that? Or you just got it all figured out and you don't need it. Revival is something we need. It's something we really, really need. And I'm so happy to tell you, if you didn't know, that it is here. It's here already. It's accessible to you. Does anyone in the room believe that tonight? Come on, it's here. It's not a question of whether God can do it. It's a question of whether you will access it. That's the question. He can do it. He's done it before. He can do it again. You just saying that. It's a question of whether you will access it or not. Now, to confess that you need revival, like you just did, like I just did, is a big statement. Because to say that you need revival has an inference to it. It means that something must first be dead. Because if something is not dead, then why does it need to be revived? There first has to be death before there can be revival. There has to be something that isn't living. There has to be something that isn't breathing. And we can't say that we want and that we need revival and then act like everything is going great and we got it all figured out and we have it all together. Because sometimes as Christians, we like to do that. Right, Because we have the Word of God, which is an amazing tool, but we can't say that we want and need revival and act like there isn't a problem. Because, guys, there is a problem, and without revival, if we stay on the current trajectory that our society is on, we are marching towards a crash. We're not marching towards a great place. We're marching towards destruction and towards a crash. There is so much destruction and despair and death out there. That's not what we're going to talk about all night, but, you know, think about it today in 2023. There's a war. There's multiple wars. There's a big war raging right now, the shedding of innocent blood. There is mass killings and shootings going on. There is division among society like there hasn't been in a very long time. Hatred, racism, things that are going on that are absolutely not good, and we can't keep marching towards those things. Those things need to be revived. Society and our culture needs to be revived. Why? Truthfully, because it is operating out of a place of death, not a place of life. It's operating out of a place of a death. What do you mean, pastor, when you say that? You have to understand that the majority of society today believes that death is the end. 
and that there is nothing more. That that's all there is. So eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow we, we may die. And that's it. That is literally the definition of operating out of a place of death. It's the opposite of your worldview as a believer where you operate out of a place of life and life more abundant under the freedom of the blood of Jesus Christ that promises eternal salvation. Is anyone excited about that? That's what you get to operate out of. But that's not where society is operating out of. And you look around and it's, it's desperate. It's, it's terrible. Guys, I hate to share this with you. If you remove senior citizens out of the out of the statistic, suicide is now the fourth leading cause of death in this country. You think about that. There are a lot of causes of death. That is terrible. Every 11 minutes in Canada, someone will make a decision to end their life. That will be three people in the time that I'm going to preach to you tonight. How tragic is that? That's Canada. Every 40 seconds around the world, someone will make that decision. In just the time I've been talking, that's three, four decisions already. Why? Because if you believe that death is the end and there is nothing more, then what is the purpose of this life? I know this is dark and this is hard to hear, but, but the craziest thing about it is that those are the numbers, those are the facts, that's the, the statistic, but, but society acts like it has it all figured out. That we have science now and we have technology and we have all the answers. We don't need any more answers, but that's just not the truth. And, and the crazy thing is this. Hear me when I say this. Society today has more to live with than it ever has before, but less to live for than it ever has in any point of history. I don't know if you heard me. Society has more to live with air conditioning cars, heating, the internet, income, a roof over your head. These are luxuries that, that the world has never had before that almost every single one of you in this room have. We live with more than we've ever had, but we live for less than we ever have. That's, that's a dire situation. That's a tragedy. And, and the world seems to not get that. Society needs to not get that. There seems to be this Almost this, this boastful pride of that we've got it all figured out and that everything's great and we have no reason to be, to be scared. But, but I believe today we have it less figured out than ever before. And there's good reason for it, y'all. The world has changed more in the past 25 years than the 500 years before it. Why this little thing called the internet? Anyone been on the internets? You know what I'm talking about? The World Wide Web. It has changed the way you communicate the way you relate, the way you worship, the way you work, the way you talk, the way you think, it has changed everything in the past 25 years. That is a bigger shift than the 500 years before it. So we shouldn't be shocked when things are in turmoil and, and, and we don't understand and we don't get it. But that prideful sense of having it all together by society is very, very damaging. And it only leads to something called destruction. It's very dangerous. Um, when I talk about pride and I, and I teach about pride, I say it like this. Pride is like bad breath. It is affecting everyone around you and you are usually the last person to know about it. You know what I'm talking about? If you got a tic-tac, tic just hand it to your neighbor right now. Maybe some gum, you know. It is affecting everyone around you when you are in the room and you are usually the last person to know about it. 
And that's dangerous. That's, that's not good. That's dangerous. And society is just cruising along, acting like we've got it all together, almost carrying this posture of indestructibility, like nothing can sink us, nothing can take us down. But I just told you the statistics, we do not have it together. We need a revival. This, this country, this culture needs to be revived. Somebody agrees with me back here. So there was this ship or this movie, depending on your experience, called the Titanic. Who's seen the movie, the Titanic? Let me see some hands. <laughs> People under 30 or under 20 are like, there's a movie called the Titanic? What? Crazy. Yeah, it was like apparently the greatest movie of all time um, back in the day. Um, and that vessel, the Titanic, it was the ultimate example of human achievement, engineering, technology of the day, wealth, status to be on the maiden voyage of the greatest passenger vessel created of all time. That's the ultimate status. And they called it indestructible. They called it unsinkable or so they thought it would be. If you've seen the movie, you know, different. You know what I'm talking about, right? Celine Dion, my heart will go on, that stuff. Leonardo DiCaprio, Kate, um, British woman, British lady. What is it? What is it? Winslow, Kate Winslow. Thank you. No? What is it? Kate, the British actress. Look, I got beef with Kate, okay? You got me sidetracked, whoever was over here. We will get back to the word of God in a second. The end of the movie. Who's seen the end of the movie? Put your hand up. Come on. All right. Jack. I'll never let go. Perfectly good plank of wood. Plenty of space for two people. I'll never let go. Deuces. And he just gone. I, I mean, Kate, whatever her name is, has something to think about. I have beef with Kate. Um, see, the thing about the movie like I'm describing to you, is it doesn't actually tell the real story of what happens to the Titanic. It's something else. It's called based on a true story. You ever watched a movie that's based on a true story? Anyone ever watched a movie based on a true story? That's a very dangerous thing based on a true story, right? Um, you be careful when you watch something based on a true story. When something's fiction and you just know it is up front, there really isn't any room for deception. But when something is based on a true story, there's a lot of room for deception. And this is not my message, but it is something I want to teach you. You be real careful with the devil because the devil will tell you things in your life that are based on a true story. Based on a true story. It's called an isolated narrative. What do you mean, pastor? What are you talking about? What are you, what are you talking about? It goes something like this. You messed up yesterday. And you did that thing that you know you should not be doing as a child of God. So that is who you are. The devil will tell you things like that. And it'll be based on a true story because maybe you did mess up yesterday. Maybe I did mess up yesterday. But that is not who you are. You are who God says you are. Right? That's not the whole story. That's only an isolated narrative. That's only part of the story. See, the devil will get you to focus on what you did, but not tell you anything about what he did up on a cross on a mount called Calvary that shed blood to cover all of your sin. See, the devil will tell you isolated narratives. And people who seek to deceive you will take isolated narratives. And because they have some root in an incomplete truth, 
you have to be careful or those narratives can take seed and take ground and all of a sudden you start believing his lies. That's not my message tonight, but you want to be careful with that. And the Titanic movie, never let go. That didn't happen. Was there even a Jack on the Titanic? I don't know. That didn't happen. It was based on a true story, but it wasn't a true story. Um, the real story is actually a true tragedy. Um, nothing funny or romantic about it. Uh, 1,500 plus souls lost and perished at sea. Dead. Um, not a Shakespearean love tragedy, just a pure tragedy. That's actually what happened at the Titanic. And it was the most marvelous vessel that all of humanity could build, and it ended in utter destruction. What happened? I'm sure you know what happened. The Titanic crashed into an iceberg and sank. Crashed into an iceberg and sank. What I want to look at tonight, and I promise we'll tie this in to our teaching from the Word of God, is why. Why did it sink? Why? What is the real reason why the Titanic actually sank? Not what the movie producers told you. And there are three things that I want to tell you. So if you're note takers, here's the first one. The Titanic sank, and sometimes you and I end up sinking too for this reason, because it was moving too fast. See, the Titanic wanted to break every record that was out there for an ocean liner of its size. My friends, fast is not always first. Fast is not always first. See, they were trying to move fast, and what happened, they didn't even reach the ultimate destination where they had to get to because they were moving too fast. Same thing happens in your life and in my life. Sometimes we try to force timetables that, that were never designed for us. See, when, when the designers of the Titanic assembled the motors, the engines, the steam engines, and they, when they designed the hull, they had a particular speed in mind. They had a particular schedule in mind to reach to, across the ocean, but they moved too fast. They didn't obey the designer's intent. Sometimes you and me will try to force things and move much more fast than our designer intended for us to do, right? Spurgeon says it like this, God is a faithful paymaster. He just doesn't always pay on Friday. He doesn't necessarily have direct deposit. He's old school. You got to wait for the check sometimes. When we force our timetable, there's a problem that happens. When we try to go too fast, faster than our designer's intent, we are very likely to do something that the Titanic did. And that is this, the second reason it crashed, make a wrong turn. The Titanic made a deadly wrong turn and it went into an area that it was never designed to go. My friends, be very careful when you enter areas that you were never designed to go in. Be very careful. See, the Titanic was not an ice boat. It wasn't meant to be navigating waters with large icebergs. It didn't have the hull for that. It didn't have the navigation for that. It was a luxury ocean liner. You got to be careful when you are navigating waters that you were never meant to be in. And truthfully, for humanity, for you and for me, this is our original problem. This is our original problem. It started in the garden with a man named Adam and his wife named Eve. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It had absolutely nothing to do with fruit. It had everything to do with deciding who will get to choose what is good and what is evil. Who will get to choose what is right and what is wrong? Will you let God dictate that or do you need to dictate that? 
That's what happened in the garden. And the serpent told an isolated narrative based on a true story to Eve and tricked her. He said, if you eat from the tree, you will be like God. Eve already was like God. She was already created in his image with dominion. She was already like God. But she believed the isolated narrative. And what did she do? She said, yeah, that sounds good. How about I decide what's right and what's wrong for myself? My friends, you were never designed to decide what is right and what is wrong. And neither was I. And that takes a lot of humility to accept that, but you weren't. That is dangerous waters to navigate in. You get into those waters, and let me tell you something, there are a whole lot of icebergs in those waters. And if you know anything about icebergs, let me tell you why icebergs are so dangerous. You only see the top 10%. There's 90% of that iceberg underneath the water. And in our lives, we get into areas where we go, yeah, you know, I know the word of God says that's bad but it doesn't look so bad. Let me get a little closer to it. Let me get a little closer to it. It's okay. This is not going to harm me. The serpent says it's okay. I can eat from it. This is not going to harm me. And you think you're real far from it until your hull crashes into it, gets ripped open. Everything else comes inside and you sink and you go, what happened? What happened? What happened is you got to be careful because when you move too fast and force your own timetable, you can very quickly make a wrong turn and be in, in an area that you were never designed to be in. We got to be careful when we are in those areas. And look, it shouldn't be a surprise. Scripture says that in the last days, what? Right will become wrong and wrong will become right. You look around 2023, it's starting to look a little bit like that. We are deciding for ourselves what is good and for ourselves what is evil. And we're not looking to the word of God to decide that anymore. We got to be careful when we're in that territory. Number three, point three, they went too fast. They made a wrong turn. And this one is crazy. You don't get this in the movie. They ignored seven warnings. Seven separate warnings came to the Titanic going, what are you doing? Don't go in those waters. They're stinking icebergs. But guess what? This was the indestructible ship. This was the unsinkable ship. Guys, God loves you and God loves me. And he sends us warnings. He really does. Anyone in this room ever had a warning from God? Anyone? Yeah, you should be real thankful for that. I'm real thankful when God sends me warnings. Usually when we crash, it's not because God wants us to. He loves you and he has good plans for you, a hope and a future to prosper you, not to harm you. Usually when you crash and when I crash, it's because we ignore warning after warning after warning from our maker. This is some hard preaching tonight. I didn't expect much applause. Usually, that's why he gives us so many warnings. But what do we do? We keep on pridefully sailing into the very storms that he's trying to save us from. We love to do that, just like the Titanic. Pride will make you ignore things that you absolutely should not ignore. That's why it's called the original sin. Starting in the garden, pride will make you ignore things that you should not ignore. One of the scariest places you can get in life is thinking that you got it all together. I've personally never been there. <laughs> I've never felt even close to feeling like I have it all together. That's just being transparent with you. But one of the most dangerous places you can be is when you think you have it all together and you are think that you are indestructible and nothing can sink you. I know that's hard preaching, but it's true. In fact, the owner of the Titanic, he put out a tweet that did not age well. 
There was no Twitter in the early 1900s. That was a joke. He put out a tweet that did not age well. You know what he said? He said, God himself cannot sink this ship. Whew. There's a whole movie about it, bro. I don't think God did it, but it sank. He got to a point where he believed there was nothing that could take that ship out. And that pride is the very thing that caused the ship to crash and sink and 1,500 people to die. In fact, he was so sure about it that he didn't even put enough lifeboats on the boat for the amount of people that would be on it. Lifeboats? What do we need those for? We're never going to crash. You know, in my life, there's been times where I go, God, what do I need him for? I'm doing great right now. That stuff's inconvenient. I don't want to do that. I'm doing great. God is your lifeboat. The word of God is your lifeboat. Don't get out into the ocean without your lifeboat. So God sends us warnings. Listen to them. Last week, we talked about relationships. This message is not on relationships. Who was here last week? Yeah, we talked about relationships. My cute little triangle. Remember it? We got on the top. It was very cute. There was a heart in the middle. It was Valentine's Day. Relationships. God gives you warnings, y'all, when you're dating. They're called red flags, okay? And, and my wife and I, we do premarital counseling. She does marriage counseling as well. And, and so many times what we hear is, I thought he would change. I, I just thought I could change him. I thought I could change her. It is not your job to change them, right? If you see that red flag, it's a, it's a warning for a reason, there's an iceberg. Don't go close to it. That's not my message tonight, but it's good relationship advice. So why did the Titanic crash? One, it was moving too fast, forcing its own timetable that it designer, its designer did not intend. Two, it made a fatal wrong turn and went into waters that it was never designed to be in. Three, it ignored key warnings from some people who cared about it and wanted its success. Just ignored it. All that is absolutely true, but none of that is the real singular reason why the Titanic actually sank. There's only one reason why that boat actually sank, and his name is David Blair. What? Who the heck is David Blair? He wasn't in the movie. Was that Leonardo DiCaprio? I thought his name was Jack. No, he's not even in the movie. David Blair was the third officer assigned to the Titanic, and at the last minute before it set for its maiden voyage, he got reassigned to another ship, and he never even made it on the Titanic. He was probably wrecked at the time, worked out well for him after the fact. But he is the one reason why the Titanic sank. And you know why? Because he had on his belt a set of keys. A set of keys. And in that set of keys was one particular key which unlocked the lockbox in what's called the crow's nest. For those of you who aren't nautical like me, what's the crow's nest? It's at the bow, which is the front of the vessel, and it's the lookout post. It's up high so you can see at a distance if there's any problems and then adjust course. See, he was supposed to be in that position, so he had the keys, but in his quick missing of the boarding of the vessel and the, and the scheduling change, this other poor guy named Fred Fleet is his name. He was in the crow's nest and he was on lookout and he was paying attention that night of great tragedy. 
but he right next to him had a box, a metal box that was locked. And because of David Blair, he couldn't, he couldn't open it. He didn't have the key for it. And why is that a problem? Why am I telling you all this? Because in that lockbox was the one thing, the only thing that could have saved the Titanic and its 1,500 souls. But he didn't have the key. The one thing. None of those other decisions, going too fast, making wrong turns, going into other waters, none of those other things would have been the one reason. All of them contributed to the reason, but there was one thing that even though the Titanic messed up and did all those things, there's one thing that would have saved them. One thing alone. Do you know what that one thing was? Ultimately, revival, that's true, but this is, this is history. <laughs> what that one thing was was not something fancy, not something expensive, not even some new technology. It was, in fact, very, very simple. And I brought it tonight to show you. One thing behind that lockbox. Do you know what this is? This is a pair of binoculars. They had the most modern vessel, the most expensive ship ever built but they couldn't access a single set of binoculars because why? They were locked up and they didn't have a key. This was locked up. And the testimony of Fred Fleet, the man who spotted the iceberg but spotted it just too late in the crow's nest was, if I had just had access to those binoculars, we would not have crashed and not a single soul would have perished. And you know that poor guy, Fred Fleet, had to live with that for the rest of his life? And ultimately, he committed suicide because he couldn't live with the stress and the guilt of his job being to spot trouble and him spotting it too late and the responsibility. Ultimately, he decided to end his own life. Why? Because he couldn't get to this simple item, this one simple thing. He didn't have the one tool he needed to protect the lives that he was trusted with. Why is that important? Why am I telling you all this stuff? I thought, why is he saying this? I thought this was about to be revival. Let me tell you why. Why this is so important. What do binoculars do? Binoculars help you focus. Binoculars zoom in on what's important and what really matters, and they blind out everything else. Binoculars focus. And then most importantly... Most importantly, if Fred had this in his hands, and if he could have spotted it, he could have told the Titanic what's ahead, and they would have had time to adjust course and not crash, but continue sailing safely and reach their destination. What I want to tell you tonight is that you have something that does the exact same function as this. You ready for it? You have something. And it's the whole reason why you came to 300 Water Street tonight and you stood in that line outside and you dealt with the parking lot and you came in here when it's cold and there's a snowstorm tomorrow. There is one thing you have that can save you from crashing and get you to your God-given destination. Do you know what that is? It's worship. It's worship. Why? Because worship is spiritual binoculars. Worship takes your focus off of everything else and puts your focus on the only one that can actually make a change that matters. That's what worship does. 
So you want revival. I want revival because you feel like this place is headed for a crash. This society, this nation, this province, this province. Then just like the Titanic, and there was only one thing that could have saved them, there's only one thing that can really bring about revival. And it's worship. And it's available to you and it's available to me. And I don't want to hear you saying what Fred Fleet, the poor guy, said. If I had just had binoculars, I wouldn't have crashed. I don't want to hear you saying, if I had just had worship in that moment, I wouldn't have made that bad decision. I wouldn't have ran into that iceberg. I wouldn't have crashed. Because this is not locked up. It is available to you anywhere you go. You don't have to come to the river, to 300 Water Street, to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You can access him every, everywhere and anywhere at any time. And when you do, the most powerful thing happens. When you see him clearly, when you feel that he is there, when you get knowledge of his presence, you can't help but be changed because that's the kind of power that our God has. When you see his face, and look, he is always present. It's not that you can ever get away from him, right? Where can I flee from his presence? I quoted that psalmist statement earlier. He is present everywhere. He's always present. In fact, Psalm 46, which will come up on the screen, says, God is our refuge and strength in ever-present help in trouble. You believe that tonight? That he's ever-present? He's ever-present, and it goes on to be better. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and mountains quake with their surging, we won't fear. Because he's present, he's ever-present. But when you worship you zoom in on him you see him more clearly you get the knowledge of his presence and you can't help but be affected and then let me tell you what happens next it's the most amazing thing just like the titanic needed to adjust its course you in your life you begin to adjust your course and it's amazing because you don't do it out of a sense of obligation. My mom's going to be mad at me if I don't go to church. My God's going to be mad at me if I don't do this. You do it because you see the awe and wonder and glory of his presence. And it is so overwhelming that it dictates to you that you have to adjust your course. That's revival. Revival, my friends, don't get it twisted. Revival is this. Revival is a focus on God that creates an invitation to repentance. An invitation to change the course that we're on and be revived into something new. He is revival. Without him, it's not possible. This lets you see what matters. Worship lets you see him. James chapter 4, verse 3 says it so beautifully. It says, come near to God and what? he will come near to you. When you zoom in on him and see him, he comes near to you. C.S. Lewis put it even more beautiful. He said this, it's in the process of being worshiped that God reveals his presence most. So if you want to feel his presence, the presence that changes everything, worship him. Put on your binoculars, your spiritual binoculars, and worship him. Because look, the enemy wants you to crash. The enemy wants you marching in that territory that you weren't designed to go on. And he wants you doing it without this, just like the Titanic. 
Because with this, you can avoid all his tricks. You can avoid all his isolated narratives. If you have this, a focus on God, there is nothing the enemy can do. So he needs you to keep this locked up, to keep your worship locked up. It's why I'm so excited that you come out here every Tuesday night and worship him in the middle of your week. And you might say, okay, worship sounds great, Pastor, but how can just singing really make a change? How can just singing bring about revival? It's not just singing. It's a focus on him, and that focus brings a humility, and that humility then leads to a place of repentance, which in turn leads to revival. And I didn't make that up myself. That's the recipe for revival in the Word of God. It's straight from 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. Come on. If my people who are called by my name, that's you, You are his people and you are called by his name. If they will humble themselves, that's the first thing. The Titanic was not humble. The captain of it was not humble. The designer of it was not humble. They thought they were indestructible and unsinkable, just like this society thinks it is. But y'all, we have been humbled. There was this thing called a pandemic that happened that showed us that we don't have all the answers. We have been humbled. Now is step two for revival if they will pray and seek my face. How do you see his face? With this, with worship. If you will pray and focus and zoom in on what matters and seek his face, then what? Then what happens? Then they will turn from their wicked ways. You will have no choice but to adjust course. It's like the old hymn said, turn your eyes upon Jesus and what? the things of this world will grow strangely dim. That's my favorite hymn, that word strangely, because the things that you used to love, all of a sudden you won't love anymore because you see his face and your love for his face is so much more significant. See, this is the recipe for revival. If you will humble yourselves, pray and seek his face, turn from your wicked ways, then what? I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. Come on, that's what revival is, a healing. We need it. We need that kind of healing. And the enemy and this world today, the enemy and working through the world today, he will do anything to try to keep this locked up, to keep your focus off of God. That's the only hope he has at winning because he is powerless to the one who created the universe. He's a lion, but he's a lion on a leash. And if you will keep your focus on God, he's powerless to stop you. Guys, I want to tell you and encourage you tonight that the world can never lock up the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. You can access it. The world can never lock up the Holy Spirit. He stays closer than a brother. He will never leave you, nor abandon you, nor forsake you. He is your ever-present help in times of struggle. So if this is what you need, if you need that focus, don't leave it locked up. The, the Titanic did, and it did not end well for them. 1,500 souls lost. Don't lose your soul when the one thing that you need is right there next to you. All you need is a key to access it, and the key is the Holy Spirit. You have it inside of you. There's no reason ever to leave it locked up. Psalm 139 says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? There's nowhere. It's with you always. It's with you always. So before we go back into worship, which we're going to do in a moment, 
I just want to encourage you. These are your spiritual binoculars. Worship is your spiritual binocular. When negative thoughts come, put them on. When, when that feeling of being not enough comes on, put on the binoculars that focus you onto God through worship. That when the world tells you not, you're not enough, he says, that's okay, I am. And you have me. So that's okay that you're not enough, Ryan, because you got me. That's what happens when you put your focus on him. When addiction comes back again and you feel like you've got chains tight around your neck that you can never break, that's okay when you look at the chain breaker. Because the chain breaker, when you focus on his face, he can't help but intervene. Your course can't help but be adjusted. Don't ever forget that you can worship at any time, in any circumstance, on the highest of highs, and at the lowest of lows, right when you are smack dab in the middle of sin, you can worship. And the devil will tell you, you can't, that you should be ashamed because you're in sin. My friends, when you are in sin is when you need to worship the most. It's when you need to worship the most. You can access it always. It's always there. With the binoculars of worship and the key of the Holy Spirit to access worship, you will not crash. You cannot crash. When you're zoomed in on his face and you feel his presence and you experience his presence and it's moving in your life, you can't help but to be humbled. You can't help but to repent. And then what happens? A forgiveness of your sins and a healing of your land. That's the biblical three-step process to revival. If you will do that, then a fire of revival will be lit that will never be extinguished. We don't live stream. Thank God. He's right there. He's right there.